Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we reach Paul's instruction that has the most immediate impact. Because our relationships have been broken by the fall, they must have the character of Christ-likeness to begin repair. The Apostle Paul lays out for the church the necessary requirements that will bring back together our most important relationships. Thanks for listening today as we learn what it looks like to live in a Christian household. This past summer, I took my family uh, to Cape Canaveral, to the space center there, and we got to see some amazing things. Just the, uh, the wonder of the power of rockets and the ingenuity and the craftsmanship, all that goes into uh, just the amazing scientific work that's done with the space program. Now, that's more appealing to adults, but they got stuff for kids too. In fact, they had this really long line you could stand in and take these rides. Uh, they had rides to go to the outer planets. You could go uh, intergalactic, and you could do the one that we did, which was going to our nearest neighbor, the red planet. And so we got in line, and as we got through it, um, we went through these space doors and then entered into this small room that looked like a capsule where they had seats. And once you sit in the seats, these bars would come right over your lap. Some of you have done this. You kind of might know what this looks like. And there was this huge screen in front of you. Now, they had an attendant there. They would tell you what to do. They say, take the stuff out of your pocket. Make sure your seatbelt's all on. Um, no photography. And um, there's going to be strobing lights, so be careful with that. Well, I thought I knew what I was in for. But age knows better. And as the thing began to lift off the ground, I found out soon that I get pretty motion sick pretty quick. And this little thing rocking back and forth. Uh, you were supposed to relax. You were supposed to ease into it. And I looked over at my family, having a great time while I'm gripping the bar for dear life, shaking about, closing my eyes as the lights came on at the end of the ride. They looked great. I looked like I just came out of a washing machine. <laughs> and part of the problem is I'm very resistant to that ride. While they just gave in and enjoyed it the way the engineers that made the ride designed it to work i was doing everything i could to get out of there uh, it reminds me of trying to hold a cat you ever try to hold a cat that just doesn't want to just want to get out of there it's not the way it's supposed to work you know we live in a broken world that god has designed a certain way by which it's supposed to work so many of us don't have that experience when it comes to the most fundamental of building blocks in our society. When it comes to the home, I can remember uh, being uh, quite young, going to my neighbor's house. Uh, he, had, he had these great toys, airplanes and trains. And I can remember at one point I heard, as we were upstairs in his room, shouting going on downstairs. It was his parents or his step-parents. And they soon locked the door, locked me upstairs because it was getting so loud downstairs. And the other neighbor just down the road from there, I can remember going after school with my sister. And that, uh, it was a grandma's house, but her son and daughter-in-law were in the process of a divorce. And um, one of them came in and there was screaming and there was shouting and one of them was trying to take the children. And I can remember just kind of backing up into the corner thinking like, I don't know what to do. And then I can remember going to my house where there wasn't always no yelling but it was a completely different 
experience in my house. What about you? Have you ever experienced anything like that? Just the pain, the shattering of what might have once been dreams or expectations based upon the corruption of this world. Listen, God's got a design. He has a purpose for a household, for wives and husbands, for children and for parents, for every relationship that exists. And you can do one of two things. You can go with the design of the engineer of the universe for how he has created you to work. Or you can resist it. You can fight against it and not want anything to do with it. And you'll come out one of two ways on the other side, either as somebody who's experienced the blessings of God or somebody who regrets having ever walked into those relationships to begin with. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians. I know we have some guests with us today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. We're going to be finishing up chapter five into chapter six. And just a little bit of a background for those who are new to our study. The book of Ephesians was never meant only for the church in Ephesus. In fact, it was a circular letter that was sent to many churches. As Paul is in prison, he is writing what is for him the greatest treatise on the purpose of the church. And we have the copy that came from Ephesus. I'm calling this series a master class. Have you ever seen those commercials on the internet? You can subscribe and find a master class with an expert on just about any topic that you would, would want to study. Well, for us, over these past few weeks, we have been taking the Christian, Christian master class from the Apostle Paul. And for this morning, we are entering into Paul's instruction into a new kind of household. As you're turning there to the end of chapter 5, I want to begin by having us to understand that this is actually rooted back in chapter 3. Everything that we're going to study this morning, and much of it has been controversial over uh, how people understand what Paul uh, is going to command. In fact, uh, one time when I was teaching this, I had a gentleman come up to me afterwards and just completely disagree how God's word is shared. Um, I was shocked to find, uh, even the other day, um, another pastor in a church in town, uh, she told me how she completely disagrees with the Apostle Paul. And that type of thing surprises me a little bit, because it seems like either this is God's word or it isn't. It's either yours to obey, or it's yours to figure out how to skip and jump all around. I want you to know that at least within the context of this book itself, Everything we will study for this morning in regards to the role of wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves who are workers, bosses who are called masters, all of that is rooted in a conviction of Paul's own reception by God. Back in chapter 3, look with me there for just a moment. Paul says at the beginning of 3, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about, and this is the key word, the administration of God's grace that was given to me. Same word that's repeated in verse 9. He says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. We studied this back when we looked at this passage. That word administration is a Greek word that means the house rules, the house law. If you're going to come into God's house, this is how you're supposed to act. This is the behavior that we expect while you are in God's house. House. So it's the ordering, it's the structuring of what is expected within the church. That was Paul's job. God called him to it. 
God equipped him to it. And then the letters that Paul has left behind for you and I are the tools, the resources, so that we as well will learn how to order our lives in the way in which we should walk. But all of us come here with a, with a bunch of baggage. Anybody got some baggage with them this morning? Some, some luggage from the world and how it, how it has taught us to think? As I was preparing this, I wrote down five ways in which the world and its paradigm have us to think. Uh, the first I wrote down was this. Only the, only the successful and the strong lead. Because might makes right and first place is the best. It's really not a hard reach in a midterm election year to see that, right? Everybody's fighting about who can be first. And there's a flip side to that for the culture. This is the second thing I wrote down, that the weak are victims of oppression. If you're weak, it's because you're oppressed by the strong. Third value from the world is the value on the individual as paramount. And that value to the individual is defined by power. So you have value only insofar as much as you have power. And the value of the individual is above all. Fourth, as I look to the world around us, has to do with submission, because it's a sign of weakness, or, and again, oppression. Most commonly, you'll hear focused upon men as the patriarchy. And so submission is not something that you should ever have a desire for, because it's a sign that you are oppressed or weak. And fifthly, no one can tell you what to do. You got any of that luggage with you today? Ain't going to tell me what to do. Where did we learn that? Where did that come from? That comes from a man-centered philosophy. Do you know that the scriptures give us instead the engineer of the universe, the designer's role for how you and I were created? In fact, we'll have a little quiz this morning. Uh, we'll look at each of those five I'll give you the Bible verse. I'll see if you can finish the verse for me. So when it comes to uh, being first, that only the strong lead, this is from Mark 10, 31. Uh, Jesus says, the first shall be last. Very good. That's what the Bible teaches, just the opposite of what our world teaches. Uh, when it comes to weaknesses, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, Paul says, uh, quoting Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for when I am weak, then I am very good. When it comes to the value of the individual, it's not based upon where they are in terms of sex or age or color of their skin. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 teaches us that every human, no matter their age, sex or color of their skin, is made in the image of... Very good. When it comes to the will and submission... Jesus models this for us. In Luke twenty two forty two, he goes to the garden and prays, yet not my will be done, but yours be done. And when it comes to what anyone can tell you what to do, this is from Mark chapter 8, 34. Jesus says, if anyone, listen, if anyone would come after me to be a disciple and follow me, he must take up his cross. He must deny himself and follow me. Do you see how the teachings that we have from scripture are exactly the opposite of the baggage of our world? And so what we're left with as we enter into this new teaching for 
Paul and therefore the Holy Spirit's commands upon you and I for how we are to live, you're left with an option. A friend of mine told me once in regards to teaching in Ephesians, it's like taking a horse to uh, the water. Right? You, can, you can lead them to the water, but you can't what? You can't make them drink. And so this is where my hope for you is that you are able to see within God's word today that it is speaking to you. But it's going to be up to you to decide what to do with that. If you're going to obey it this morning or if you're going to resist it and fight against the the designer and his design for you and I. So with that as a backdrop, uh, we're going to start in Ephesians 5 verse 22 and we're going to work our way through chapter 6 verse 9. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Just as you would obey Christ, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This little passage of scripture is a portion within the New Testament that gets repeated by Peter, gets repeated by Paul. It's a household code of texts 
that teach us how we are to interact and live within the dynamic of these particular relationships. There's a few things that I want to highlight and point out to you. In the structure of what we have today, there's three different sections of relationships. So uh, the marriage relationship, uh, the parental relationship in the home, and then workers with their employers. Now, there's a lot more that needs to be said than we have time to say. Um, One note I want to make is that uh, Paul is dealing here with slaves and masters. However, this is a different form of slavery than the one that was practiced in the 18th and 20th century or 18th and 19th century. Uh, the slavery that shows up here, back in Paul's day, is far better understood as a uh, indentured servitude. So it was a way for you to be able to find a place of security and income that would uh, protect you if you did not have that ability. Otherwise, you could place yourself into that form. But the relationship today, well, because we don't have any indentured servants, <laughs> we don't have slaves. That's a whole different subject that looks to something that the law clearly Uh, condemns for whatever form of slavery exists today. So what do we do with this? Well, we can't just erase it from our pages, which is why I'd like for us, as we get to that section, to think of it in terms of employee and employer. That's a similar, it's it's a parallel for how you and I can see the principles that God is laying forth here in Paul's teaching. To back up a little bit, I'd like to start off with some primary observations. Uh, The first thing that I want to show you is that here we have, by the Holy Spirit's leading, the repair manual for the cursed household. Come on, I'll be honest. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse? Anybody? Yep. You ever, ever wrangle horns with your parents or with your children? Right? Have you ever been upset at your boss? Yeah. All of these relationships at some point or another have been, have been sh- sh- frayed. Uh, they've been strained, and in, in many times they've been broken. Do you know where that started? Where did that even begin? Uh, we're we're going to have you hold your spot here in Ephesians 5, and I'd like you to turn all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Because I want you to see, as we look into this, that these aren't just some... Um, one-off instructions by Paul, these are very intentional and particular categories that find their repair all the way back from the curse in Genesis 3. So if everybody's there, who's there? Give me an amen if you're there. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 3. Um, I'd love to just read the whole passage, but for sake of time, we're going to begin in verse 16. This is where God comes into the garden and he brings... The curse. Right after the curse upon the serpent, you have now the curse to the woman. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. All of it comes from right here. And so the three categories that we see, that between the husband and the wife, did you see where they went wrong? Because of sin, the first curse went to the woman. 
Isn't it interesting in Paul's repair here? Who is it that's commanded first? It's the woman who's commanded first. If you notice in Genesis, you'll see that verse 16 includes this phrase, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. A lot of confusion, just commonplace by reading that with a surface reading. The desire here is not speaking of affection. This isn't any sexual desire that he's speaking of. Instead, the desire that Eve is going to have because of the curse will be for Adam's role. She will want to control Adam. And do you know why? Because now Adam's a sinner. It's going to be very hard for Eve to trust him. It's going to be very hard for Eve to follow Adam. Instead of wanting to follow and submit, she will instead want to lead and rule on her own. Paul's going to repair that one. Now you'll also notice what was the problem for the husband at the end of verse 16. And he will rule over you. Every form of domestic violence, every form of abuse, whether physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal, everyone finds its ugly source right here. And so second, we're given a command from Paul to the husbands on how they're supposed to lead. Did you see children show up here in the curse? Because children show up next in Ephesians chapter 6. Notice that it's in verse 16 again. The part of the curse unto the woman is that she will have an increased pain in childbearing. The interesting Hebrew word that's used here with childbearing isn't just the six hours of labor, of delivery. That's not what it means. It's the entire process from delivery to raising up those children. That now because of the curse, you're going to give birth to sinners. I didn't hear an amen on that. Was there an amen? You're going to give birth to sinners, right? These little Selfish humans that are going to rebel and want their own way and therefore increase pain in their rebellion to their parents. You're going to see that the curse then moves to Adam. Um, Adam doesn't have a similar um, curse in regards to the childbearing. In fact, if you were to study the curse given to Adam, do you know it's repeated over and over and over in the curse to Adam? It's his work. It's all about his work. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it. So his work's going to consume him. It will produce thorns and thistles. Everything you eat is going to be garnered through suffering. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat until you die and return to the ground. And so we have husbands, fathers, who are going to be more focused on careers than invested in their families. The Apostle Paul is going to come to repair that as well. And then within this concept of work, the ground here as a creation of God was to serve the human creature. But what's the ground going to produce? Instead of apples and fruit and wheat, it's going to produce what it shouldn't. And so the the worker here being the ground is even going to be in rebellion to the one who's trying to work it. And so you have this carryover for the employee and the employer. Did everybody see the issue here? When we study, this is awesome. I hope you catch this. When you're studying Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 at the end, you're seeing God's repair book. This is how you fix what was cursed. Everybody doesn't have to search very hard in their own lives to identify where has it gone wrong in your relationships. I guarantee it's pretty easy for you. This ought to be such a word of good news that God gives us a way to fix it. 
And so with that in mind, I'd like to give you the main observations from this passage. First of all, Christian submission is an act of love. Christian submission must be an act of love. For the wife, we're seeing in chapter 5, verse 33, that that love is manifest as respect. This is not a command for husbands to enforce. This is a command for wives to embrace, to submit to their husbands, to respect them. Uh, The other day, um, I had to call Emily. Uh, I haven't asked her if I could use this illustration, so I'm on a little thin ice right now. Uh, I said, I need a favor for you, but you're not going to like it. Because it meant she was going to have to go outside and it was really cold. I needed her to measure part of the house. And as I was uh, going to ask her for this favor, she said, you're breaking up. (laughs) (laughs) We usually have good reception right there. I don't know what went wrong. It's going to be very tempting for you wives not to want to trust your husbands. We're going to focus on this specifically on a series that we're going to do in the new year that looks at the purpose of marriage. And there's more that needs to be said than what could be said right here. But to begin with, I want you to know that the very first place to see submission is it has to come from love. It cannot be a fine, fine. What's wrong? I'm fine. You're, you're doing it wrong. It has to flow from love. Look at the husband's role in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Jesus gives us an example for this. You're supposed to love her as your own body in verse 28. No one ever cared for his own body. So submission for the husband looks like love. Children in chapter 6 at the beginning here are to submit. The version of love for them in verse 2 looks like honor. It looks like honor. Do you know there's a difference between obedience and honor? Furthermore, uh, again, this is further than we have time for, but this is not speaking to children in the home. Uh, Paul is not characterizing honoring of your parents just until you turn 18 and move out. You are to honor your parents as long as they're your parents. And there's a difference between just doing what they said and doing it in such a way that brings them honor. For fathers, you'll see in verse 4, They are called to be invested in the lives, education, and spiritual development of their children. Dads, pay close attention to this. It's easy for moms. Moms do it almost instinctually to care about their children. Dads, again, because of the curse, are going to be focused on trying to fight off death. Because all you're getting are thorns and thistles. Here's the repair manual. Put the shovel down. Put the pen away. Take a break from work. Be involved in your children's life. Be invested in their spiritual growth and to do that out of a heart of sacrifice and love. Let's look at slaves for a minute here. This one's probably the most accessible in verse five. How are they supposed to uh, follow and obey their masters? What's their submission look like? Well, they're to do it just as they would Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor in verse six when their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. How are you guys doing at work? <laughs> when, when the boss says, hey, we got, we got a rush here before the end of the year. We got plenty of work to do. Do you do it like you're serving Christ? Do you do it from the heart? Do you do it with love? Hear me, this is important. 
If you are submitting in your relationships to one another and it's not an act of love, then it is not following after God's repair design for these relationships. We've got to get that right to begin with. Next, Christian submission is obedience to the Lord. Now, first of all, a few places that I want to highlight for you. Um, this little section that we're starting with in verse 22 actually starts in verse 21. So look, look in your Bibles back in chapter 5 because um, there is a paragraph break in my Bible. Paul never intended a paragraph paragraph break here. I'm going to deal with uh, exactly what's being said in verse 21 uh, in our next observation, but I want you to see that as he starts under the subject of submission, it doesn't just mean wives submit. Do you know that husbands submit as well? It's not just that children submit, fathers submit as well. It's not just slaves who submit, masters submit as well. Everyone submits to one another. That submission just looks different dependent upon the role that you are in. And so for wives, it means to be willing to follow. For husbands, it means to set aside all my priority to give up and sacrifice for my wife. That's a form of submission. For children, it's obvious, it's to obey and it's to honor. But fathers here, you will have to sacrifice something to be invested in your children's lives. That's a form of submission. Also, it says not to exasperate them, right? So not to be harsh with them as we read in Colossians. I I want everybody to see that verse 21 sets the tone for every single one of these relationships that we have. And that that submission is, first of all, a form of obedience. These aren't suggestions. (laughs) This isn't, if you you disagree with the Apostle Paul, well then what are you doing at all reading the Bible? What does it matter if this is not God's word? If this is not a binding authority over your life? Is it pick and choose which you want to obey? Or is it, this is the command. And so obedience needs to be understood. This is, this is paramount. Because I guarantee you struggle with this. Husbands, I guarantee it's more desiring for you to get out of the house and go to camp this week. I guarantee. To, to, to indulge in what you want to do and not sacrifice for your spouse. Wives, I guarantee it's easier for you just to, you know, I'm, I'm following what he wants to do, but really working it my way on the backside. I guarantee that those are going to be easier for you unless you get this one right. Because to follow these, not as suggestions, but to follow these as commands must be seen not as primarily a submission to one another, but primarily a submission to God. So look again in the text with me. It says, verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So wives, you're really submitting to Christ when you follow the lead of your husband and expect your husband to lead. Again, there's so much more needs to be said here. We'll talk about it when we talk about marriage specifically. Look at the next one for husbands. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Jesus is your model. You're, you're, you're not submitting to your wife to give up and sacrifice for her. You are actually submitting in obedience to Jesus when you do this. The same is true for children. The same is true for fathers. The same is true for slaves and masters. Every step 
down the line on these relationships must be seen as an obedience to God. Not an obedience to the person who you have a relationship with. Thirdly, Christian submission is a witness of the gospel. This is one that I think most of us miss. I don't know if you actually realize that the character and behavior of your relationships is speaking to the world around you. We can see it in the text simply enough. I haven't lost you guys. Are you with me today? You still with me tracking on this? Your Christian submission is you actually giving a witness of the message of the gospel, the good news. I want to point out to you where this shows up. For wives, uh, it says that Christ is the head of the church, his body. That's the gospel. (laughs) Jesus is the head of the church. We serve him, the risen, exalted Lord of lords. And so wives, as you submit to your husbands, you're embodying the implication of the gospel. Husbands, it's even simpler. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as, here's the gospel, you ready? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the message of the gospel. For children, you have a promise that's included. Did you see this in chapter 6? Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Speaks of the promise of God, of the good news of the gospel. Fathers as well, bring up your children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Workers are seen as those who will receive a reward in verse 8. Is that not part of the gospel? That God will reward all those for whatever you've done? That's good and in his name and will come in judgment for everything that's done in the body. How about the last one for masters? Look at the end of verse nine. He who is both their master is yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. That is the message of the gospel. There is no longer male nor female, slave nor free, Jew or Gentile. What's the message of the gospel do? It levels everybody. There's no favoritism. So here's what I want you to see. Wherever you line up in these roles, in these categories, make sure you see that your submission, your submission to the Lord, your submission that comes out of love is actually giving a visible character seen with our eyes in the real world witness of the result of the gospel. The word that you could write down behind this is just transformation. It's transforming because you now look completely different than all those characteristics that come from the world. All right. Lastly is this Christian submission is an act of worship. And for this, we do have to go back to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Yeah, why? Why should I? Tell me why. Because of Jesus. Well, how how do you want me to do it? As an act of worship. There's a word that's used here that kind of gets lost uh, as it comes into English. Um, It's a Greek word, fear. Reverence is the word that we have here. Paul's not inventing this. He actually picks it up from the Old Testament. This from Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Paul, if you could go back to the Joshua passage. Joshua 24 that you read. Just flip in your Bible real quick there. Because I want you to read the first line that came from that passage right there. Here's what we believe. As we're looking into this, God's design for relationships contains supernatural wisdom. And that wisdom is rooted in a fear of the Lord. Paul, what did it say this morning? 
Now, fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Thank you. It shows up right there. Fear the Lord. Put God first in your life. That's why and how we all learn to submit to one another. So you guys track with me on this? Everybody is involved in submission. Wives are mentioned first because wives were given the curse first. Husbands also submit. Not in the same way that wives do, but it is an equal form of submission distinct to the role and the design of God for husbands. Children submit, fathers submit, slaves submit, and masters also submit. And we all do so out of a fear or a reverence of who God is. Amen? All right. So with that in mind, I want to offer to us this morning some critical conclusions that flow out of uh, this passage. The first is this, that there is nothing that is more critical to society and to the church than the family. As we've gotten to this place in the book of Ephesians, we have now reached Paul's meddling in the affairs of your household. Do you want to know why? Because that is the most critical relationship that there is when it comes to society and when it comes to the church. In fact, just looking at the church, I want you to write this down. The church is what? Well, we are a family, right? We call each other brother and sister. We serve one heavenly father. We are a family, but we are a family that's made up of families. That's what the church is. It's a family that's made up of families. And so if you want the whole to be healthy, the individual pieces have to be healthy. I was going through the freezer the other day to get out some venison that I was bringing to Crystal Falls to turn into summer sausage. Oh, I want to sound like Tim Allen there when I think of that. And I found some old stuff that was in there. It was, it was uh, a deer that was shot by my cousin. I forgot it was in there. It was a little poorly wrapped, poorly labeled, but I thought, ah, we could turn it into sausage anyways. So I gathered it all up, brought it over to him, and he's like, what's this? I was like, yeah, it's venison. He opens it up. He says, I can't, I can't make sausage out of this. Look at it. It's all freezer burned. It's all turned bad. If, if he were to put that into sausage, what would come out the other end? I tell my son this sometimes with shows that you watch. Garbage in? Garbage out. What about the church? What if our families are not being transformed by the message of the gospel? What if we are still following in resistance to God's design? Do you know what the church as a whole will look like? Garbage in, garbage out. There's nothing more critical to society. The most fundamental building block of society is the family. And the most fundamental cell for the health of a church is your family. There's nothing more important than that, except that relationship that flows within the family. When it comes to the family, there's nothing more crucial than the husband-wife relationship. That's why Paul mentions it first. That's why so much time in this instruction is given to the role of husbands and wives. And I would submit to you this morning, that is why this is under attack in our world today. I don't have to preach long and hard to find agreement with you that when you turn on the news, there is a continual push against the designer's wisdom when it comes to the family and when it comes to husbands and wives. So, 
Here's the water, right? It can lead you to it. But we, those of us who know and have been transformed by God's spirit, we have to be the ones that obey it. Thirdly, biblical submission is evidence of the control of the Holy Spirit. So insofar as you obey these unique characteristics within the relationships you have, you will either be evidencing that the Spirit lives in you, or he doesn't. Here's where this comes from. All the way back in chapter 5, you'll see verse 17. He says, don't be foolish. Understand what God's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, you remember, as we studied this last week, that means controlled by the Spirit. In the same way that wine can control you so that you're not in control, don't do that. Pretty foolish. Instead, let the Spirit of God control and define all of your behaviors Characteristics, attitudes, thoughts, words, and deeds. And then Paul mentions five participles. We dealt with four of them last Sunday. Speaking to one another, singing, making music, and giving thanks. Those were the first four. The last one I saved for today. And do you know what it is? Verse 21, submit. If you were going to stay in parallel with the translation of a participle, your translator should have said submitting, because it's a participle. It's the fifth of these five that all flow directly from Paul's command to be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to understand. These are not the means by which you are filled by the Spirit. So it's not that if you do these, then you'll be filled by the Spirit. That's not what he means. What he means is these five participles are evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling. If you are committed to encouraging one another with truth, singing to please the Lord as we studied last week, making music in your heart, giving thanks as the reframing of how our minds think, and then lastly, submitting to one another. If you do those, you are evidencing that you are indeed a Christian. The Spirit has control over my life. And so I want you to know this is a key Conclusion from this passage. That biblical submission, which is then everything we just studied about these three categories of hierarchical relationships. Wives and husbands. Children and fathers. Slaves and masters. Every one of them are evidence in the character so far that you follow them of the Holy Spirit controlling your life. Lastly, fourthly, and this is kind of just a summation of everywhere we've been this morning. As witnesses of the transforming work of the gospel, we... This is is you. I'm speaking to you, Christian. We must worship God by submitting our relationships and obedience to his design as an act of love. I think if you were to sum up that whole passage in one sentence, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Christian, here is the design that God has to reframe the cursed relationships of this world. Be transformed. Be changed. As you find the gospel outworking in your life, worship God by submitting your relationships in obedience to his engineering work, his design, and do so. Not like this, because I got to, but do it as an act of love. And you will repair all those broken relationships. So what what do we do with this this morning? How, How can we go from this place and obey God's word, right? How can you really drink deep from the waters 
And we've been washed and changed and cleansed through within God's word. Well, I put this up here. Submission to Christ as the head will require unique submission within your relationships. As I was working through this this week, I thought, all right, wives, here's what you should do. And I just repeated Paul. All right, husbands, here's what you should do. And I just repeated Paul. And I thought, "Ah, you got it already. Should Should we do a quiz? What should wives do? Husbands, what should you do? Love, submission through love. Children, what should you do? Submission through obedience. Fathers, what should you do? Submission through teaching and training. You guys with me? We're all there. You get it. So what should we do? Well, find your role. Find where you show up on these pages. And by the way, it's possible for you to fit in five, I think. I counted. So I can be a husband. I could be a son. I could be a father, I could be a worker, and a boss. I got a a lot of work to do then, right? It's possible uh, for you to find yourself in um, up to five of these roles. It's it's up to you now. Are you going to give in to God's design? Because he's made the ride of life good. And he's given you the instructions on how to enjoy it. Or are you going to resist and fight it and come out the other end with regret? All I can do is offer it to you and challenge you. Look into the pages of God's word today. Find out which one speaks to you. And just like a basketball player, you know, when I was young, I had to shoot free throws. When I was little, I shot them like this. Took a while to learn how to line it up just right. But if I practiced enough, do you know what I learned to do? I learned to sink them. And it became easy. Now, if you asked me to make a free throw today, yeah, it probably wouldn't go so well. <laughs> you know why? Because I haven't been what? I haven't been practicing. Everything that we've studied this morning, church, it won't come naturally to you. It won't because you're under a curse. You need supernatural help to do it. And then get busy and start practicing. Amen? Let's pray.